Hey y'all, it's Rachel from Smarter Teaching, here to share a latte and give you all the tools you'll need to work smarter, not harder, in your classroom. Hey readers and teachers, um, I am here today with the third Thursday episode for February 2021. Um, I don't know about what it's like where you are, but here, dramatically, everything still sucks. <laughs> Everything's closed. Um... Schools are a little bit open, but mostly still closed. Um, I can go to the grocery store and the bank, and that's truly about it. Um, I tried to record this yesterday, and my whole self was just tired. I was tired like all the way down to my soul yesterday, and you could hear it in my voice, and that's just not cool. So I deleted all of that, and we're going to try it again today. Um, I also want you to know they are literally in our apartment building, renovating every single apartment that touches ours. So I'm really hoping I can get in and out with minimal background noise. But if you do hear hammering or um, power tools, that is really not ideal. And that's not my goal, but it's also not really something I can control. So this month, readers, um, I am sharing four books with you. A Wilderness of Air, When We Believed in Mermaids, American Predator, and One of Us is Lying. Before we get started our, our reviews, if you could follow my podcast wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google's podcast thing, so embarrassing, I don't even know what it's really called. Anyway, wherever you're listening, if you could follow me, that would be super perfect and amazing. All right, we're going to get jump right in with A Wilderness of Air. Okay, A Wilderness of Air. I started reading this book because a podcast that I really like was covering the Connected documentary. So, for what that's worth. Um, here is the publisher summary. It's a super long publisher summary, but here it is. Academy Award-winning documentary filmmaker and former private detective Errol Morris examines the nature of evidence and proof in the infamous Jeffrey MacDonald murder case. Early on the morning of February 17, 1970, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, a Green Beret doctor named Jeffrey MacDonald called the police for help. When the officers arrived at his home, they found the bloody and battered bodies of McDonald's pregnant wife and two young daughters. The word pig was written in blood on the headboard in the master bedroom. As McDonald was being loaded into the ambulance, he accused a band of drug-crazed hippies of the crime. So began one of the most notorious and mysterious murder cases of the 20th century. Jeffrey McDonald was finally convicted in 1979 and remains in prison today. Since then, a number of best-selling books, including Joe McGinnis's Fatal Vision and Janet Malcolm's The Journalist and the Murderer and a blockbuster television miniseries, have attempted to solve the MacDonald case and explain what it all means. In A Wilderness of Error, Errol Morris, who has been investigating the case for nearly two decades, reveals that almost everything we know about this case is ultimately flawed, and an innocent man may be behind bars. In a masterful reinvention of the true crime thriller, Morris looks behind the haze of myth that still surrounds these murders. Drawing on court transcripts, lab reports, and original interviews, Morris brings a complete 40-year history back to life and demonstrates how our often desperate attempts to understand and explain an ambiguous reality can overwhelm the facts. A wilderness of air allows the reader to explore the case as a detective might, by confronting the evidence as if for the first time. 
Along the way, Morris poses bracing questions about the nature of proof, criminal justice, and the media, and argues that MacDonald has been condemned not only to prison, but also to the stories that have been created around him. In this profoundly original meditation on truth and justice, Errol Morris reopens a famous closed case and reveals that, 40 years after the murder of MacDonald's family, we still have no proof of his guilt. <sighs> okay, guys. Full disclosure, I could not finish this book, and I had other books coming up off of my holds list, so I abandoned this book. I hardly ever abandon books, and it's possible that I'll ultimately finish this at some point in the future, but I really just could not get into the writing style for this book. Um, and I'm surprised because A, I'm pretty interested in this case, but also B, like true crime is a genre that I really enjoy. Um, and I just, I don't know. I couldn't really, like I said, I just couldn't really get into this book. Um, I will say, I think I finished about a third of it or so before it got taken back off of my Kindle from, by the library and other books came up. Um, as I mentioned before I read the review, there is currently a Hulu docu documentary with um, the same name, A Wilderness of Air, um, that's also covering this case. And there's an accompanying podcast called Morally Indefensible that also, um, I think the podcast goes a little more into the book um, Fatal Vision. But it's supposed to be kind of like an accompanying podcast to the Hulu documentary. Um, I will also say that I feel like when I read the publisher's summary, I'm interested in this book. But then also when I read the publisher's summary, I feel like, man, this guy must feel really good about himself to just be like blowing up, uh, you know, really inflating this book. I'm not saying that the book is bad. Um, I just think you have to really feel good about yourself to say that your book is a um, profoundly original meditation on truth and justice. So I don't know. <laughs> like I like I said, I couldn't finish it. I just nothing sucked me in. I thought it was there were pieces that were for sure interesting to me. And I am interested overall in this case. But I just in the first third of the book, I couldn't I never got sucked in and it just got taken back by the library and other books that I had waited for a really long time came up off my holds list. So I moved on. Um, if true crime is your thing, you might really be into this. Um, I, like I said, I'm into the idea. I just couldn't get on board for the execution. So if you are like a true crime reader, if you're really into nonfiction, then you might enjoy this book. Um, I just couldn't really get into it. Stay tuned. I might watch the documentary. The next book that I read, readers, was called When We Believed in Mermaids Barbara, by Barbara O'Neill. And before I share the publisher's summary, I'm just going to tell you something that I found humorous. So I um, got this book. I, I bought it on like a Kindle deal. So I think it was like two or three bucks. So um, I did buy this. I don't often buy books, but um, a Facebook book group that I'm in I think a bunch of people had been recommending this book and then somebody posted one day like hey this book is two bucks everybody like you should get it if you're interested in reading it um and so I picked it up 
um, the whole time I read this book, and no joke, until like five minutes before I recorded this podcast, I totally thought this book was written by the same um, author who wrote When We Were Yours, Before We Were Yours, Before We Were Yours, which is the one about the um, kids who are um, abducted and then sold to rich white families. Uh, it was a fiction book based on a true story. I read that last spring, like during the first book I read during our first lockdown. It was really good. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like their names are not similar at all. It turns out that that author's name is Lisa Wingate. <laughs> I don't know why that I thought this was written by the same woman. Like Barbara O'Neill, those names are not the same at all. I think it was just like the pastel cover. I don't know. Anyway, here's the publisher's summary of When We Believed in Mermaids. Her sister has been dead for 15 years when she sees her on the TV news. Josie Bianchi was killed years ago on a train during a terrorist attack. Gone forever. It's what her sister Kit, an ER doctor in Santa Cruz, has always believed. Yet all it takes is a few heart-wrenching seconds to upend Kit's world. Live coverage of a club fire in Auckland has captured the image of a woman stumbling through the smoke and debris. Her resemblance to Josie is unbelievable and unmistakable. With it comes a flood of emotions, grief, loss, and anger that Kit finally has a chance to put to rest by finding her sister who's been living a lie. After arriving in New Zealand, Kit begins her journey with the memories of the past, of days spent on the beach with Josie, of a lost teenage boy who'd become part of their family, and of a trauma that has haunted Kit and Josie their entire lives. Now, if two sisters are to reunite, it can only be by unearthing long-buried secrets and facing a devastating truth that has kept them apart far too long. To regain their relationship, they may have to lose everything. Okay, so personally, I felt average to like just a little, like a little blip above average about this book. Um, I liked it. I read it pretty quickly I want to say maybe like over a week and a half but I read most of it within like two to three days um I just like the first bit got spread out a bit over some time but the bulk of this book I read like in a weekend we didn't have a lot going on and so we were just kind of uh, at home and um I was just reading a lot um I thought I enjoyed this book and I once I got into it I read it pretty quickly um it's not quite so late as a beach read but like it's not some like it's not the type of book that's gonna like change your life or make you think like terribly deeply um I thought it was enjoyable uh there were definitely some pieces that I just I don't know there were some things that I wasn't totally sold on and some things I wanted more details about um the brother um so it's not their brother it's like this runaway kid that they just kind of take their parents like just kind of take in I wish that they had more like they talk about him and he's an integral part of their young lives but I wish the author had like fleshed out more of his backstory like why did he just show up at their house and what was his deal you know um and I don't know, I feel like the whole, the book, the Kit is the main character of the book, even though obviously Josie is like a critical part, character as well. Um, but I kind of, I feel like 
Kit is telling us all of these things that happened in the past, as also she's finding her sister in Auckland. And I felt at times like a little... I don't know. I think that I, I felt like the author wanted us to buy that this whole thing was like this very transformative experience for her. But then um, she kind of panics and run, runs away and it just didn't feel like it really fit with the rest of the book. Um, in the end, it was fine. I felt comfortable with the level of resolution because you guys know that I hate when they let you think of your own ending <laughs> in a book. Um, so there's definitely enough, uh, resolution that I felt comfortable with. I feel like I had a clear picture of where all of the main characters were and even some of the supporting characters were going with their lives after the book ended. (laughs) Um, so I liked the level of closure and really it's, it's a fine story. Like I said, it's not going to change your life, but I also think it's unlikely that you will read this book and then feel like you wasted your time um it's just sort of like a nice little escape from your life and it did also make me really want to visit Auckland but mostly just go to the beach like yes Auckland sounds nice but I I I've always really loved the beach and the whole time I was reading this book um (laughs) I was like man this beach sounds so much better than (laughs) northern than Germany in February (laughs) um so The book was, like I said, if you are a reader of realistic fiction, if you like to, um, there was also a very strong element of surfing in this book. Like if you're into surfing or a surfer, you might enjoy this book. Um, I think that it was overall like a generally believable story, um, squarely realistic fiction. Um, it was a good book. Like I said, it's not going to change your life, but I also don't think you'll be upset that you read it. So if you're tooling around and it's available at the library, if you find it on a deal, I think you will not regret spending the time or like a small amount of money to read it. The third book I read this in this last month was American Predator. And the full title is American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. Um, True crime is a genre that I really enjoy. I try not to read so much stacked in the same month, but I don't know, I guess I'm like a little bit of a true crime spree um, between January and February. Here is the publisher's summary. Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer. The names of notorious serial killers are usually well known. They echo in the news and in public consciousness. But most people have never heard of Israel Keyes, one of the most ambitious and terrifying serial killers in modern history. The FBI considered his behavior unprecedented. Described by a prosecutor as a force of pure evil, Keyes was a predator who struck all over the United States. He buried kill kits, cash, weapons, and body disposal tools in remote locations across the country. Over the course of 14 years, Keyes would fly to a city, rent a car, and drive thousands of miles in order to use his kits. He would break into a stranger's house, abduct his victims in broad daylight, and kill and dispose of them in mere hours. And then he would return home to his la- return home to Alaska, resuming life as a quiet, reliable construction worker devoted to his only daughter. 
When journalist Maureen Callahan first heard about Israel Keys in 2012, she was captivated by how a killer of this magnitude could go undetected by law enforcement for over a decade, and so began a project that consumed her for the next several years, uncovering the true story behind how the FBI ultimately caught Israel Keys and trying to understand what it means for a killer like Keys to exist, a killer who left a path of monstrous, randomly committed crimes in his wake, many of which remain unsolved to this day. American Predator is the ambitious culmination of years of interviews with key figures in law enforcement and in Keyes' life, and research uncovered from classified FBI files. Callahan takes us on a journey into the chilling, nightmarish mind of a relentless killer and to the limitations of traditional law enforcement. Okay, so personally, I already knew um, a fair amount about this case before I read it, and Um, so there weren't a ton of bombshells to me, but of course there were some new details. Um, I've heard this specific, well, so the, um, I've heard about him on several true crime podcasts. Guys, my true crime problem is really real. Um, but anyway, I've I've heard of him on a, a few podcasts, true crime podcasts that I follow. Um, but none of them went into a few, um, details that this book did, obviously because like a 30 to 60 minute podcast is leaving out a lot more information than like a 300 page book. Um, so the podcasts like start with this case in Alaska and that they end up, um, catching him for and it turns out like as they're talking to him about this one specific kidnapping in um Ingridge that it comes up that he's really been doing similar things all across the country for years and has never been caught until this one specific moment um so I thought it was really interesting um like I said, I was already familiar with um, several of the details, but there were some new things that I learned. I don't want to like blow it up for you right now in case you're not familiar with this case. Um, so I, but there were some interesting pieces that I learned, um, and overall, I thought it was interesting because I always not not that I always forget this, but I think um, sometimes when you watch uh, like serial shows like Law and Order SVU or, um, Criminal Minds, like stuff like that. I think it's, um, where they like always catch the right person. Um, it's easy to forget how trapped sometimes, um, like the FBI or local or state level law enforcement is. Um, like I think about this a lot, Another case that I um, learned a lot about was um, Susan Cox Powell. And like in that specific case, they really felt like they knew who their guy was and just couldn't ever uh, prosecute because they didn't have enough like physical evidence tying them. And that's sort of how this plays out too. Like aside from the, he confesses, um, Keyes confesses to some additional crimes while like through the questioning that the FBI does after um, this kidnapping, but there's several other murders that they believe he's responsible for that um, they were not able to pin on him because he was just like, he would neither confirm nor deny. And there was no, there wasn't enough physical evidence to tie him 
to these other cases. So I just, this book definitely gets into um, how law enforcement can sometimes be limited. Um, so I would recommend this book, especially if you're into true crime, um, if you enjoy reading about law enforcement or um, like prosecuting criminals, that type of thing. I think that this would be an interesting book for you. If I were reading it, I would probably only give it a three, not because the book wasn't good, but just because I was already familiar with a lot of this information. And so I didn't, it didn't like blow my mind or teach me a lot of new stuff, but it's possible if I like hadn't already been familiar with this case or with, um, keys that maybe I would have felt a little more, um, like shocked or like mind blown. But, um, if you are a true crime reader, if you like nonfiction, if you like to read about law enforcement, I definitely would recommend this book to you. It's also as, um, nonfiction slash true crime goes a pretty quick and easy read. Okay. And this last review, um, I'm still reading this book, so I'm going to kind of tease my review, and then we'll talk about the whole book in March. Um, But currently, I'm reading One of Us is Lying, and here's the publisher summary. The Breakfast Club meets Pretty Little Liars. One of Us is Lying is the story of what happens when five strangers walk into detention and only four walk out alive. Everyone is a suspect, and everyone has something to hide. Pay close attention and you might solve this. On Monday afternoon, five students at Bayview High walk into detention. Bronwyn, the brain, is Yale-bound and never breaks a rule. Addie, the beauty, is the picture-perfect homecoming princess. Nate, the criminal, is already on probation for dealing. Cooper, the athlete, is the all-star baseball pitcher. And Simon, the outcast, is the creator of Bayview High's notorious gossip app. Only Simon never makes it out of that classroom. Before the end of detention, Simon's dead. And according to investigators, his death wasn't an accident. On Monday, he died. But on Tuesday, he'd planned to post juicy reveals about all four of his high-profile classmates, which makes all four of them suspects in his murder. Or are they the perfect patsies for a killer who's still on the loose? Everyone has secrets, right? What really matters is how far you would go to protect them. So, like I said, I'm still um, in progress on this book. Um, I think I'm about, like, a third of the way into it. Um, So, obviously, Simon has been murdered, and um, the other students have – no one has been, like, outright accused, but they've all been questioned repeatedly by police police officers who are investigating the murder. Um, I will say it's interesting – I'm pretty sure that this is YA because a young adult because all of the characters like it takes place in a high school and all the main characters are teenagers um I will say um the way that the book is written is that each chapter like all of the chapters advance the plot but each of them are told from a different character's perspective. And so, like, I'm getting a little bit better at it now. But sometimes, um, like, especially early in the book, when I was reading, I'm like, oh, dang, who who is the narrator now? Like, who is telling me about this? Because obviously every time the narrator talks, they always say, I, I, I. But sometimes it's just, I'm like, oh, geez, who are you? Um, and I will say they also, like, Sometimes the teases are a little dramatic for me. 
like she walked out of the classroom would she ever walk in again um I mean not like that but you know similar things and it just I'm like oh geez come on like let's just (laughs) move on forward um but I will say I'm enjoying it and it's um I know it's a murder mystery so don't come for me when I say this but it is nice and light (laughs) like um I don't feel like I have to stop and think and other than keeping the four narrators separate, like there's not a lot of brain work involved um, in reading this book. Like it's not super challenging. It's not super complicated. So, so far I'm into it. Um, I'd currently say like three, maybe three and a half, um, but stay tuned for how I feel about the end. Um, that is it for this month, readers. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. Um, in the meantime, between now and next month, you can find out what I'm reading by following me on Instagram at smarterteaching, all one word. Um, and you can check out any other book reviews and cool teaching tips and tricks on my website at rachelwilser.com. All right. See ya. Bye.